It's part three of Where the Road Takes Me, and my guest on this Sunday evening is Liam Sheehan, president of Mallow GAA Club. Well, back in the 1970s, it was customary for GAA clubs to visit other clubs in various parts of the country and the UK. These visits were usually reciprocated by the host club at a later date. One such visit to County Louth involved a close encounter at a border post in Crossmaglen, which we'll hear about in a few seconds. But first, Liam looks back at those great days at the Town Hall in Mallow. I think they were great days. We had rooms up on top of the town hall, the present town hall, which is closed now. And we had a snooker table there, and a pool table there, and a table to, in the stable, and we had a meeting room, you know. And uh, But we had great times there. And I thought our room that time, in comparison with nowadays, that we did a lot more, even though money could have been scarce, and, you know, at different times. But, uh, for instance, we went to London one time, a trip to London. Uh, I think Massenagel brought up this, I think it's around 1970 uh, we'd go to London have a trip to London and we were looking at starting then we got involved with a little committee and we made a coincide with the Mallow reunion the Mallow people in London used to have a reunion virtually every year at that time they come from all over England so we made a coincide with that and we uh, chartered the flight which seems very strange I couldn't imagine us chatting a flight now you know we chatted the flight and uh, I think it was 54 left Mallow and 16 were bringing the hurlies and if you brought your hurley if you were prepared to play you were at half price you were subsidised so we had a great time and the, uh, people still talk about it so it made it, that London reunion so much bigger for the, the exiles in London and so on and you were meeting people you hadn't met for a long time and we played a game against Treaty Gales and we won the game and I remember our chairman Pat Driscoll got injured he to go to but he was okay and we had a great time we went up to Highgate then I had a meal, meal and you know it was lovely but there was a lot of that going on that time and we went to RD a couple of times County Loud, St Mary's, now the County Loud, and they would come back down to us and we put them up for the, the weekend, you know, and they'd put us up. And uh, one story about Andy, <laughs> we were out this night and this man says to me, he was a guard, and he says, would you like to go for a spin tomorrow? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm off duty, I'll drive you up to Cross McGlynn, you know. So I said, a grand, yeah. And uh, there was five of us, so... <laughs> I was in the front seat with him and we were up this lonely road and there was a sentry post, I can still see it. And I could see a man on top of it, a soldier on top of it, and he looking down, there was no other traffic. And there was three of us in the back. There was three other fellas in the back. <laughs> Next thing, one of the fellas in the back, he was a great character, Brunt Huller, picked up a hurley and pointed it up at your man. Oh, good Lord. I said, oh, dear. I could see the holly. He always brought a holly with him while he was going. The guard, the off-duty guard said, put down that so-and-so holly. He said, you'll get a so-and-so killed. And he tore off. <laughs> it could have been a disaster because your man could have died. It was all. The last thing you should point at him. Fight. Yeah. Fight. <laughs>
I don't remember in the skilling came down one time in the skilling camogie team you know and a lot of things like that used to happen that time even more so than today and uh, but we've grown up a three year plan now in Mallow it's called one club and there's a lot of work being done at it you know to get more people involved we have a beautiful complex we want to make more of a club of it you know that people go up and and uh, Philly Hayes he's a, a garden town he instigates it and it's going very well now it's only in its early stages we've so many committees subcommittees and they're drawing up plans and I, I think that'd be wonderful yeah. you so know? you're still involved with the club oh, I'm president yeah. president of the club my father was too before me you know and uh, he was president I remember one time they gave him a presentation of a gold watch I thought it was lovely you know for all the work but he worked very hard lining the pitch he did a lot of physical work you know rifle at a walk all his life. Told us a story, went up in Carrakeel, that was the place we had before, Carragoon. He was lying in the pitch and this man came along and he'd jog a little bit and then sprint a little bit and jog and we were looking at him and the man nodded him and they nodded at each other and going away, this man came over to him and he said, um, I think he's to jump and catch the cl- the crossbar as well. He said, uh, I'm going all the best now and my father says, you're like Mick O'Connell. And Mick O'Connell said, people say that, all right. It was Mick O'Connell. See, Fergal, Mick O'Connell would be Fergal McCormack's uncle, and he was visiting in, uh, in town, yeah. you know. So, funnily enough, I went to the island, what do you call the island? Valencia. Valencia, one time. And we were driving the island, only once I went there, and there I saw Mick O'Connell. And he was on the road, and he had a huge rock. He was fixing a ditch, and he was an elderly man at the stage. So we stopped, and he chatted, and I told him that story, you know, and he knew about it. And he said, ah, he ordered me off the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I said, he did not order you off the pitch. He did, he says, you know, and he was laughing. Liam Sheehan's coaching skills were availed of by many North Cork GAA clubs, including Liz Carroll. From there, publican, farmer and poet Philip Egan joins me with a few verses written about Liam's time with the club. Liam actually coached us here on this gallery on two occasions, John. He coached us in 1981-82. The poem I've written actually is in relation to the Narcox semi final against Kilworth. It was a wonderful game of hurling uh, in 1982. Now, he also coached us in the mid-90s, I think it was 93-94. And I was always struck with his wonderful passion for hurling. He lived and breathed it in the sense that when Liam was on the pitch coach you for hurling, it was like there was nothing else that mattered him. It was just he was totally engrossed in what he was at. You know, he, he had a wonderful influence on our team in, in 82 because we went to the Northcott final that year, you know, and, you know, very fond memories of him. So the poem I have written is Remembering 82, Northcott semi-final, Liscarroll versus Kilworth for Liam Sheehan. You came to us when days were long beneath the summer sky when swallows were as plentiful as dew drops on the grass. And up as Ross and Anna with the slitters flying high, we'd run a hundred yards and more to get a winning pass. Such joy to vivre I'd not known, such eagerness to play, until you came and showed me how to strike the ball at ease. Throw it beneath and follow through, I often heard you say, which as I wanted to improve, I wanted you to please. A disciple of ring you were, his skill set you extolled, out in the line with body arched, your knee touching the ground. You struck a sideline puck one day, crisp as the frost and bold. We watched it floating o'er the bar with amazement profound. How we responded to your call with gallant heart and pride. In March we were just twenty strong, in August thirty-four. And every training session left us feeling starry-eyed, for we believed no matter what, we'd get the winning score. 
A moment I shall not forget, the pinnacle of dreams, when body, mind, and heart and soul fuse together as one. The ball is dropping from the clouds, gone from my grasp it seems. My hand rises above the hurdles. I catch, the game is won. Such joy, such hope, such fervor in our dressing room that night. You took us to the mountain top, energized and upbeat. It was for you I climbed highest to grab that ball in flight and for the team that you led out with no thought of defeat. I never shall forget that year of 1982, when the world was my oyster and I sang a happy song, when our village stood taller because of the gift of you. We thought we were invincible, that we could do no wrong. So that's the poem, John. It really exemplifies the man and uh, the passion that he has for hurling, particularly the skills of hurling. Oh, yeah. I always said, John, that Liam Sheehan was last out to the county board, that he would have been a wonderful ambassador for hurling and a wonderful man going around to national schools coaching young children's skills. Now, he was a skillful hurler himself, but he was so much into the skills of the game. And as I say there about the sideline pucks and that, I can still see him showing us how to take the sideline puck. And he often caught a ring. Uh, his knee touching the ground like a ring the way he'd, he'd strike it. And that particular one I speak about, he did it himself in the field one day and the ball sailed over the back. And sure, half of us we couldn't get a thrice ten feet off the ground. Never mind over the bar. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but he was everything that you could have wished for in the coach. He, he was wonderful, and I've very fond memories of him to this day. All right, and you played yourself, Philip? Did you? I did play. I was something feeling in that team of '82. But we didn't win the final. But uh, beating Kilbert was a wonderful achievement. And um, you know, um, he coached us again. I think in the mid '90s, and um, he coached other teams as well. Very successful in Arcock, and of course, he was a wonderful holder himself as well. And his family, sure, his his brother Tommy was one of the best cart minor holders ever. And then, of course, Ronan came on his son and won a, a county medal afterwards with Cork again. We'd, we'd have him do again. So um, wonderful family, wonderful holding tradition, and. Um, as long as Mallow Hurling is spoken about, uh, the Sheehan family will be spoken about. Finally, and to finish, and as he was mentioned by Liam earlier, I end the programme with a short piece from an interview I recorded with possibly one of the greatest footballers ever, Mick O'Connell. This was recorded in his home on Valencia Island 25 years ago. Now, while the sound quality isn't fantastic, it should not spoil the enjoyment that all followers of Gaelic football should derive from it. He begins this piece talking to me about the art of fielding a ball, one of the many skills he was noted for. To catch a ball, to challenge yourself to go get up there and catch a friend or four, even if there's nobody there, to do it well. And there's personal satisfaction in it. And also, as a spectator, when I was that's the one thing that I would like to see. It would stay with you in the memory I could catch. But uh, the, way, the way it has evolved nowadays, I think it is uh, very seldom you see it. People wrote and spoke so many times about you rowing to the mainland, playing in a game, rowing back again. Uh, but you enjoyed all that. Oh, yeah, sure, everyone. It was sport. And what about those people who had to row before my time and my people before me, who had to row miles and miles in bad weather and everything to make a living? I was doing it for sport. And yeah, any day, you could make a passage from Valencia to the mainland almost any day of the year, unless there's a stinker of a storm out here. No, it was... Uh, because you've got to be honest, if, if I wasn't willing to do that, I shouldn't have been playing. That's it. Other people had uh, other things to do, but it was no, no. It was unusual, but there was nothing outstanding about it. Talk to me about the first day you put on the Kerry jersey. Well, it was down in Cork Athletic Council. It was about May 1956. Kerry senior jersey played underage before that, but I think uh, Ty Crowley was the secretary of the Kerry County Board at the time. I was down in Cork at the time. 
I gave one year in college there, and uh, he said to, to bring my boots along. He said, they may be short. So I went along by the Metropole Hotel there, and I met Tom Riarty, who recently deceased. He said to me, are you playing some match somewhere today? He thought I was playing with some club. Yeah, I was just going along to the match down the park, and sure. Tom was playing it, I was playing it. I think I think I got it more ball than, than, than Tom that day, and he ran. That's kind of what kind of got me uh, the attention of the selectors, and after that I was selected any time I was available. How did your family feel about that? My family were were not very concerned. I, and my, matter of fact, myself and my father, we never discussed football. I think, you know, when he when he saw me practising maybe in a summer's evening, when there was other things to be done, he thought it was a bit foolish. But coming from his background, the person should be doing something more useful. Perhaps he was right. But uh, when you get the bit between your teeth, and you're, you'll get something. It was unpleasant to, to be doing something that's not, not uh, as you say, approved of at home. But... We got along all right otherwise. That's the way it was. The family were not over-concerned about the game. Would the 1958 All-Ireland semi-final against Derry, would, would that have been the first game when people sat up around the country and noticed Mick O'Connell, a great battle that day? With, uh, was it Jim McKeever? Well, Jim McKeever was playing that day. I was playing that day. And, uh, I caught some good balls that day. It was a wet day, yeah. But I don't know when they took notice. Or, but around that time, I suppose I was in the early 20s. and I, was, I, I played some good games. I don't know what feature of my play was 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 it got attention, but the one thing that gave me, as I mentioned to you a while ago, was the feeling is the one thing that I would like to look forward to. Although I could kick well with both legs, the feeling was the thing that I, I was really attracted to. Who were the greats in those days that uh, you admired? Paddy Doherty, I suppose, Sean O'Neill. Just had to pick out players. You know, there, there was players from lesser counties who never were in all islands. And they were very attractive. You could take Mickey Kearns of Sligo, he never made an All-Ireland. The down team, they were very, very workmanlike, and the Galway team of the 60s. But individually, even in your own county cock, there were some great individual players, but uh, teamwork left them down. For myself personally, there was one man I used to, uh, to be a, an opponent of, uh, Cahill O'Leary of Dublin. We, f- we fielded against each other often, but we never fouled each other. Jimmy Keever was like that as well, but uh, some people play to, to hinder the other, and I couldn't tolerate that at all. As a guy, myself doing it or anybody else doing it, I could understand their reason for playing the game if it was just to hinder the other player. In those times, the cups and medals, they were not important. I had to come back home, I had a job, and I had to be there at 8.30 in the morning. In those days, the cup was just taken, and it wasn't hawked around the country to have venues like this nowadays. My thanks to Liam Sheehan and to Philip Egan for joining me. Thanks to you as well for sharing an hour with us. I appreciate your company always. Next week, I'm in Castletown Bear. Until then, from myself, John Green, have a pleasant, but also, and especially, a safe week.